Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I'm starting a new sermon series today that's going to take us through the holidays, and uh, we're calling it Home for Christmas. Um, we, we want to talk about, <laughs> we want to talk, <laughs> oh, that's sick, ooh, ah, uh, yeah, the graphic designer gets paid well around here. Um, <laughs> He is with hugs. He gets paid in hugs. Um, and uh, but no, we want to talk about the reality of Jesus in our homes. Um, we believe that God has a plan, not just uh, for his church, you know, which he certainly does. And, and, and I, it's exciting to see so many people here in church, um, which is awesome. Even during the holidays, prioritizing um, church in your life, I believe, is a great step to help you continue walking with God. Um, it's very important. I know going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Um, you know, people say that, you know, it's like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Um, you know, unless you're like a frozen, partially hydrogenated beef patty, then it does make you a hamburger going to. But, but, but in our case, you know, if you, I mean, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. But the truth is, I, I became a Christian in church. I don't know that many people that have become Christians or walked with God for very long without church. So it's true that church is not the source of salvation, but it is a channel of God's grace in your life. And so it's going to help you walk with God. And so we really ought to take advantage of, the, of, those, of, those, of those opportunities. And, so, um, and so, so, so we believe that church is great. Um, but, but beyond church is the home life, is who you are at home in your living room, who you are around your your kids, who you are with your spouse. And so we want to tackle kind of a topical sermon. We want to tackle these different um, ways in which we, these relationships that we have in our home. We want to deal with um, how we deal with money, how we deal with time, um, but also how, how we interact with each other, uh, with, with marriage, um, with dating, uh, with um, brothers and sisters, uh, with kids. Um, I've, I've roped my parents into maybe sharing a little bit, coming here because they'll be here over Christmas. So we'll bring them up here and and they'll they'll talk a little bit about how awesome of a child I was and and it's just it'll it'll be very encouraging for you all um, and just share about parenting you know because because I, I believe that God doesn't just want to build a church uh, attendance roll call but he wants to actually have a family of God for whom their homes are changing in, in Acts chapter 16, uh, uh, Paul and Silas, this isn't on, on, on the screen or anything, but, but in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison and they start praising God and there's this powerful thing that happens. The prison starts shaking. They get free. The jailer who is in charge of the prison is so petrified, but he sees the power of God. And so he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas say, look, all you have to do is believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But then they say, you and your whole household. In other words, God has a family plan when it comes to salvation. God has a plan for your family. It's not just that he wants to change your life, but he wants to change your life so that you can change your family's life, so that your children are better off, so that your spouse is better off, so that your community is better off because you came to know Jesus. And so I believe God has a family plan for you, and God wants to work his plan in your family, not just in church here, but also in your living room. Look, if it doesn't work in your living room, then it doesn't work. 
If it only works when, when you know, the, all the lights are just right and the, and the haze is blowing and, 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 and the greeters are greeting, if it only works in this space, then you haven't got the full thing yet. You haven't got the full, because the full thing changes your day-to-day -day life. The full thing deals with your home life. It deals with how you interact with each other. And so, so we want to deal with that. We want to talk about that. But today I want to give sort of an overview, and I want to jump into uh, perhaps a peculiar passage, one that I actually preached on last Christmas. So if you were with us last Christmas, I talked on this passage last Christmas, um, but many of you were not with us last Christmas. And, and, and I'm digging into it even more, and I'm seeing even more revelation out of this story and it's just so exciting to me. So I want to read from Matthew chapter 1. This is not the most famous Christmas passage, um, but, it is, but it is an important one. Um, in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 1, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, now Matthew, uh, he is a Jew. He is writing as a Jew to the Jewish people. Uh, and he's writing the, the gospel of Matthew. But at the very beginning, he wants to establish why he believes Jesus is the Messiah. And so he starts talking about the family tree, the, the genealogy of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about your family tree and my family tree. But he says, this is the genealogy. This is the family tree of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, those are two in, uh, very important parts I don't have time to get into. But now we're going to do some reading, all right? See, see up there, Matthew 1, 1 through 21. So if you haven't got your Bible reading in today, we got you covered. We got you. All right, so verse number two says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Now move over so you can read it. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, uh, the father of... Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashan. Nashan, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of King David. Everybody still with us? Okay, you've probably heard of King David. You probably haven't heard of a lot of those other guys, Abinadab and uh, Zodok, Zedok, Zikwit, Zedahiah. Um, but, you, but you know about Abraham and you know about David. These are, these are the highlights. All right, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. I don't know if I'm pronouncing these correctly, but... Abijah, oh, there's a scholar down here. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile of Babylon. And then after the exile of Babylon, you guys still with us? We're halfway through, okay. Uh, if you lost us, catch up. <laughs> Jeconiah was the father of Sheotiel, Sheotiel the father of Zerubbabel, I like that one, the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Ak A 
uh, Akim, Akim the father of Eliad. And Eliad was the father of Eliezer. Eliezer the father of Mathan. Mathan the father of Jacob. And Jacob the father of Joseph, who is the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Notice he's very careful not to say that Joseph is the father of Jesus. Um, because Jesus was born um, via a phenomenon known as the virgin birth. As the only time in history it's ever happened. Not the only time it was claimed, but the only time it has ever happened <laughs> in all of history. Where, uh, I was sort of thinking Greek mythology, but you know, I mean, I don't know where you all went, sinners. Um, anyway, Je Jesus was, was born through the Holy Spirit impregnating Mary, not Joseph, okay? And um, that's very important because he is the Son of God. Uh, he's also the Son of Man through Mary, but he's the Son of God through the Holy Spirit. However, this lineage, this family tree, is the family tree, obviously, of Joseph. It, it ends up with Joseph, and we end up in the manger scene with this guy, this dude right here, Joseph, in the manger scene and he is now the adopted father, I guess you could say, of Jesus. This is Jesus's family tree. And the family tree um, continues. The, Matthew goes on to summarize everything that he's just written. Uh, in verse 16, he's, he says that there were 14 generations um, between uh, Abraham and David. Or maybe it's verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. What is he doing? Well, he's, he's, giving, he's giving his Jewish readers um, sort of an overview of, of the genealogy or the family tree of Jesus. This isn't just the family tree of Jesus. This is also the family tree of Matthew in many ways, of all of the Jews. They would have, they would have certainly known about Abraham. He was the father of of the faith. And in each one of these key leaders that he's talking about here, these are key points in history, key turning points in the family tree. You can probably look back on your family and say there were, there were some key turning points, some pivotal moments, right? This pivot, 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 pivot moments. There were some pivotal moments. And the first pivotal moment is the moment of Abraham. God called Abraham from his land and said, come follow me to a land that I will show you. And Abraham believed God when he had no evidence. He just had faith in God and started walking in the direction that God told him to walk. That's why he's called the father of the faith. Uh, Abraham is the father not just of the, of the Jewish faith, but also the Christian faith. He is the, he is the first human to fully trust God's promises. When God gave massive promises, his first massive promises, first covenant, if you will, was made with this man Abraham. And so Abraham is a, is a huge character. We could spend a lot of time talking about him. But one thing, one passage I always liked from Genesis where God's talking about why he chose Abraham. He said, he said that he chose Abraham because he knew that Abraham would command his children after him. And I love that when we're talking about the home, when we're talking about family, of all the wonderful things that Abraham did, the main reason why God picked Abraham is because he knew Abraham would pass on his faith. He knew that the faith of Abraham would also become the faith of Abraham's sons and daughters and his family.
And so he chose Abraham, he called Abraham, he equipped Abraham, and he led Abraham. And Abraham started this thing, he launched it. And it was a, a good first quarter. It was a powerful first quarter. And then from Abraham to David, Matthew records 14 generations. Actually, there were probably more generations, but in a Jewish sense, uh, he's, 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 he's given us the highlighted people that, that they would have known especially. And so those 14 generations takes us to David with another pivotal turning point. David is the one who established the kingdom of Israel. And so Israel was a family, a nomadic tribe, and David wasn't the first king, but he was God's chosen king to establish the kingdom. Samuel told Saul, who was the first king, he said, man, if you would have obeyed God, God would have established your kingdom, your reign forever. But because he rejected God, God has chosen a man after his own heart. And that was David. And we've been reading from the Psalms all, all month of November, talking about David's life. And David was a man after God's own heart. David was a pivotal point in the history and the family tree of Jesus that he not only put faith in God's word, but he also received even greater promises than Abraham did. In 2 Samuel, we do have this passage to show you. In 2 Samuel, God makes a promise to David, and this is also repeated in the Psalms. And uh, God says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish, he says, I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now David understood that no human is gonna sit on a throne forever. And so he understood that what was happening here is that God was prophesying about the Messiah. God was saying that the Messiah would come through David's royal line, that it would come from his body, that it would be one of his descendants, and that that, that king would sit on the throne forever. And this is perhaps one of the greatest promises that anyone ever received in the Old Testament. And this is what um, was David's greatest joy, knowing that God had chosen his lineage and his line to be a part of the family tree of God's redemptive story throughout history. And so it comes further into view. It started with Abraham. God said, um, your seed, through your seed, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. Now, he says, David, through your, child, through your children, through your kids, there will, there will come one who will reign forever. But now we have 14 generations. If we go back to verse 17 um, from Matthew chapter 1, we talked about Abraham, we talked about David briefly, and then 14 generations from David to the exile of Babylon. And I love how Matthew doesn't even mention the guy's name who was responsible during that season. He just says, well, it, he just, he, he calls him by his failure. If you're the king of a country, the worst thing you can do is be overtaken by another country and taken into exile. That's called failure. And so he doesn't even mention his name. In fact, you have to go back. I think it's, I think it's back to verse 13 in order to, you know, you have to scroll up to figure out who this, who this, who this guy is. Verse 12 tells us that after the exile to to Babylon, it was Jeconiah. So it's verse 11 that tells us Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile of Babylon. And Jeconiah is the guy that I want to focus on because Jeconiah is also responsible for a pivotal turning point in his family tree, but it wasn't in a good way. Uh, Abraham started this thing off in the right direction. David took it even further and established a kingdom. But Jeconiah... Man, he blew it. He took that kingdom 
and completely dropped it. He fumbled. He Tony Romo'd it. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Oh, man. I know, I know, I know, I know. But hey, Dax, Dax's doing pretty good. Dax's doing pretty good, so I guess it's, it's all good. I heard somebody, after, after, after that one game, somebody's like, man, I wish we had Tony Romo back. But um, Romo's doing good in the booth, though. You gotta be, you gotta be proud of him up there. He's, he's doing well. But, but he, I mean, I mean, Jeconiah completely messes this thing up. Jeconiah is not the only one responsible for this. When you read the history of the kings of Israel, there were plenty of bad eggs before Jeconiah. But something happened during Jeconiah's reign that God said enough is enough enough. And so when you, when you, when you turn to, uh, is it uh, Jeremiah chapter 22, if we could go to Jeremiah chapter 22, we'll see what God writes about Jeconiah. It was during Jeconiah's reign that, that the people were taken into captivity. But God says of Jeconiah, he says, is this man Kaniah, a despised, broken idol, a vessel in which there is no pleasure. And verse 30 says, thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. Now we know he wasn't childless, he had kids, but God's saying he might as well not have kids because this man shall not prosper in his days for none of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. And if you look back at history, this is, I don't know, this is about 900, 800 years before the time of Jesus, before the writing of Matthew's gospel. When they were taken into exile, they never went back as their own country. They were never returned. They were allowed to go back and settle uh, uh, sort of a, a, a part of Babylon at, at one point. And actually, um, one, one of the kids there, one of, one of Jeconiah's kids was, was the governor at that time. They set him up as the governor, not the king. They never had a king after this moment. And, and Matthew, and ever since this moment, they have been dominated by other countries. They have been traded as pawns in the Middle East of whoever was, was in charge at the moment. And when Matthew's writing it, it was Rome who was in charge. And it's interesting also that, that, that he's writing about this guy who was obviously so despised that he didn't even want to name him in the, in the pivotal turning points. He just said, well, there was a time when we really blew it. But if you look back at the genealogy, you see that that time was a guy named Jeconiah. And God calls out Jeconiah and says, no one from his lineage will ever sit on the throne of David again. And this is one of the more um, com complex scriptures in the Old Testament, because on the one hand, you have God saying, well, David, your seed, someone from your body, your royal lineage will, 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 will sit on your throne forever. And then 14 generations later, this dude blows it and God is so done that he says, you know what? None of your kids will ever sit on the throne of David. And Matthew is now stuck. He's, he's stuck in that moment where, where no one has sat on the throne of David and it seems that no one will. And all of Israel is in this moment. So Jeconiah was probably a bit of a cuss word. That's why he didn't put his name down. He didn't want to cuss in church, you know? Because Jeconiah was, he was the guy responsible for for, for ruining the hopes of an entire people. The hope of the whole world was the Messiah. And now the Messiah has no throne to sit on. And not only that, but God seems to have contradicted himself. On the one hand, God said, the son of David will sit on his throne forever. And now it's like God's taking it back. At first God had blessed them, but now it's like God's cursed them. I don't know how your family tree has gone, but sometimes you can start off really good. 
and then go really bad. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing how you can have some pivotal points that are lovely and wonderful. And then you can have some pivotal points that are not good and they're rough. And it seems to undo all the good stuff that was done before it. And it's been undone for like 800 years. Matthew is saying, you know, you know, you know, what's his face? I'm not going to say his name because it's a cuss word. But, but you know, you know, great, 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 great grandfather Jeconiah who had messed it up for all of us. In fact, even God doesn't say his name. You see that? He says, this man, Kaniah. Even God wouldn't pronounce his full name. You know it's bad <laughs> when God's like, dude, I'm not, I can't even, I can't even get your whole name out. And, and the reason is because Jeconiah means the Lord, Jeh, will establish, Kaniah. <laughs> and when God referred to Jeconiah, he said, why don't we just take the Jeh out of it? Because you've been living without the Jeh. You've been living as if you're responsible to establish your life. You've been living as if you're responsible to establish your family. So how about we just take me out of the title? How about we take Jeth, the Lord, out of your name? God, God removes Jeth from Jeconiah. When he was born, his parents said, yeah, let's name him Jeconiah. That sounds good. The Lord will establish. But after he had made all of his decisions on his own, made all of his, his establishing on his own, God finally said, you know what? I'm not in the mix at all. We might as well take my name out of this. And I know Christians are trying to get Christ back in Christmas, but maybe if we just got Christ back in Christian, it would go a long way for it. Or just call yourselves in. Maybe we should just call you in. You know, you're just in. Let's just get his name out. If he's not going to be in your living room, why is he in your title? Well, I preach it now. He just took it right out of there. He's like, let's just take my name out of it. Let's just, let's, I don't even want to be associated with this because you are not allowing me to establish you. You are trying to establish you. So let's see how that goes. And it leads to exile. It leads to bondage. It leads to hopelessness. We see what happens when man tries to establish his family on his own without the jet. And God says, let's, let's talk about Kaniah for a minute. The human desire to establish oneself, the human desire to deal with one's finances on one's own, the human desire to deal with one's children on one's own, the human desire to deal with one's marriage with one's own wisdom, the human desire to establish oneself by oneself without the Jeh, without the Lord. Let's see how that works. And Jeh, Kaniah or Kaniah, is an example of how absolutely lost we are without God. And the family tree, and I know, I know some of you may have really good family trees. You may come from good family trees. You, you may, your family tree might be beautiful, like, this, like this, this guy right here with all the fake snow on it. Because that wasn't from Texas, you know that. that was, you know, you, your family tree might be beautiful or your family tree might be, I don't know, look a little more like this. I didn't just throw down our Christmas tree. It, it voluntarily kneeled before the manger. Come on, somebody. Because, stop it. Someone say stop it. Because this is my prop. This is my prop. This is it right here. Everybody's got to have a prop. 
Isaiah prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, and this is what he said in chapter 1, verse 1. This is the very beginning of Isaiah's book. If, 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 if we could go that, you'll, this would make a little more sense. He said, a shoot or a, a branch will come up from the stump of Jesse. This is the Israelites' family tree. It's a stump. And all that stuff about Abraham and David, that's this right here. All the stuff David built, the kingdom he established, the children that he raised, the family, the generations that did so much, this is what happened because God said, I'm cutting you off, dude. I, I am going back to the stump. I'm just going to razor it all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it down to the stump. He destroyed the Christmas tree. I don't know if he likes Jesus. If you're really into tradition, this isn't church. This isn't the church for you. I'm helping you understand what kind of church this is. Next time, we might just toss the pulpit next. You don't know. It's going to get crazy. But, but this, but, but I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice the tree for a minute. Because as I'm talking about this family tree and I'm talking about this life and I'm talking about how good it is, some of you are like, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, God's promises and people are faithful and grandparents. I mean, some of you have grandparents, you know, that actually prayed for you. And that's wonderful. I had uh, a grand, I believe I had a grandparent. But, but man, some of us, our family tree looks more like this. And there was some good stuff, but then it got all undone, and it got all jacked up, and it got cut right down to nothing. My family, my family tree's a stump. And the burn about a stump. And this, 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 is, this is what Isaiah says about the, 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 the family tree of Israel. It's basically a stump. There's no family tree. It's been cut down. It's been thrown out. It's been cut off. And all that's left is this little base, this little stump, this little, you know, like you, you walk by a tree that's been cut down and you trip over the stump. That's all. It's just a stump in the ground. And Isaiah said, man, that's the family tree of Jesus. That's the family tree that Jesus came from. I'm talking to some of you, and I, I think that's very similar to what your family tree looks like. It's, what, it's how you feel about your legacy and your history and where you've come from. It's just not much to go off of. Not much to build off of. How are you gonna branch off of a stump? That's the burn about a stump. You, it can't get any nourishment because nourishment comes to trees through their leaves. It receives the sunlight and does some scientific stuff to it transfers it into energy. It receives water and stuff from the leaves, transfers it into food for the, it, it, everything for, for a tree comes through its leaves, which is the burn about when you've been, when you're starting with nothing, when you've been brought down to a stump, is that, is that even if you want to do what's right, you don't have the necessary tools to do it. The stump could want to grow all that it wants, but it doesn't have any leaves. And that's why it stays as a stump. And that's why cycles stay in family and pa patterns stay in families and addictions stay in families because the very thing you need to get out of that trap is the very thing that is trapping you to begin with. The very perspective you need, the very hope that you need, the very encouragement that you need is taken away by the fact that there is no growth, there is no leaves, it's just a stump. And this is, this is the burn 
about the stump. It, 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 when, it's, when it's cut down to, to stump level, when it's broken down, when your life is and your family tree is broken down to this, you feel like you just have to start all over and plant somewhere else. You feel like you just have to run away from the stump. Let's start with the seed form. Let's go do something else. But this is not what God did. In God's family tree, we have Jeconiah. We have sin. We have failure. We have brokenness. And we have a curse. You know, there's the blessing, of course, of David, but then there's the curse of Jeconiah that seems to undo all of that blessing. And God leaves that as a part of the family tree. He doesn't just say, okay, well, I'm going to throw away that family and get a new family and start a new family tree. He sticks with the stump. And this is the kind of God that we have. We have the kind of God that, that doesn't walk over a stump, that doesn't run away from a stump. In fact, he, he, he uses it kind of as his stump speech in Matthew. It's the beginning of Matthew. It's the start. You, it, it, he starts with the stump. He begins with the stump. What most people would say is the end, is the grave, is the end of a tree because it just simply can't grow when there's no leaves to allow it to get nourishment. God says, I'll take the stump and what I'll do is that a shoot will come up from the stump. That something, something miraculous will rise up from the ashes, from the brokenness, from the nothingness. I will create a branch because that's what a stump needs to grow. It needs a branch to be able to receive sunlight and receive water. It needs a branch. And yet all of humanity kept trying to get a branch to receive from God and just couldn't do it. And so Jesus, the miracle of Jesus is that he steps into our families and he creates what was not there to begin with. He steps into the stump, he steps into the emptiness, and he starts creating growth where there shouldn't be growth. He starts creating a reception to the presence of God where there shouldn't be a reception to the presence, a tenderness toward God where there shouldn't be a tenderness toward God, where there should be hardness and brokenness and dryness. God starts breaking through the stump and starts receiving new life so that the stump can actually live again. God doesn't stop at a stump. He, 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 he works with our family stump, <laughs> our Christmas stump. He works with the, the base of it. And we see that as we keep reading in Matthew, if we go, if we go on down to verse, uh, what is it? Verse 18, there's a, there's a split in my Bible where there's a section now is, is changing direction. Matthew has set up the problem. He set up the fact that, well, this is really a bad family tree. It's been cut down to a stump where really there's not much hope here. God promised, but now God has cursed. And it's sort of difficult. He sets that up, but then he says, this is how the birth of Jesus, this is how the shoot comes through the stump. This is how the miracle happened. The birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, I don't know if I have to explain that to you guys. She was found to be pregnant. So they were engaged, which in those days, it was a more formal engagement. It was an actual marriage. Only divorce could undo it. Even though they hadn't come together, they were technically married legally. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
Because Joseph was her husband, uh, was faithful to the law, yet he did not want uh, to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. That's interesting. I thought he's the son of Jeconiah. I thought he's the great, great 14 generations later from Jeconiah. But the angel appears to Joseph, and he doesn't mention Jeconiah. He says, Joseph, son of David. That's what, that's what's so difficult about, difficult about family, is that family, you, family sets you up for the rest of your life. Where you start really affects where you finish. It really does. It really affects what you believe, it affects, some of you are here in church today because of your family. Some of you have good things in your life because of your family. We also have some bad things in our life because of our family. But either way you cut it, family affects where you go. How you, where you start determines where you go. And, and so often, whenever we're looking at a family like this, whenever our family tree looks fallen over and cut down and messed up with sin and selfishness and brokenness and addiction and cycles, when our family tree looks like this, we, we tend to think, well, that's, that's, that's what's going to affect us. That's, that's where I'm headed. I'm going to repeat that cycle. But, but what God does is he looks, at Jeconiah, he looks at Joseph and he doesn't talk about this. He doesn't talk about the Jeconiah. He doesn't talk about the failure. He doesn't talk about the brokenness. Instead, he goes before the brokenness. Truth is, nothing in your family has been cut down that needed to stay, to stay standing. <laughs> and I know it's hard to believe because it was so beautiful. And it was so bright and it was so Christmassy. And it was so, it was so good. And there was so much progress and it had gone, so, there was so much had happened and it, it took a while to build that and it took, a, I mean, a lot of effort went into that. Don't you see the, the, the cost? Don't you see the effort? Yeah, absolutely. But the truth is anything God cuts down, anything that falls down in your life, you don't really need. These are things, see, there are some branches, it's better to have it cut out than to have it stay. There's some, there's some people in your life. It's better to have them cut out than to have them in. <laughs> there's some things that negatively affect you. And yes, it cost a lot. And yes, there was a lot of good too. If you read the story of Hezekiah, if you read the story of, of uh, Jehoshaphat, there's a lot of good folks in this tree. Notice God didn't go back to the last time somebody was obedient. He didn't go back to Hezekiah. He didn't go back to those guys. He went back to David because the key is not human obedience. The key is the promise of God. David is the one who received the promise. And so he calls him a son of David because David is the one that God had promised to bring an heir through his lineage. And so God will do this in our lives and in our families. I believe God wants to take us back to his promises. He wants to take us away from our, our family loss and our mess. And he wants to, from our line, from our family, he wants to grow something brand new inside of us, something great greater than we've ever imagined or could even think. Something that goes back to not our ancestors, but before our ancestors. Because underneath the stump is a whole root system. 
There's stuff you see when you see the stump, but underneath the stump, there is this root system that is deep, that has grown into the dirt, that is feeding it, that is receiving nutrients, that is staying alive. And that's what God is reaching for. He's reaching for underneath the stump, that before your father or your mother thought about you, before they had a big celebration about your birth, there was a God who dreamed you up. You, your point of origin is not your human dad. You didn't start with him. You didn't start with them. Your grandparents didn't conceive you. They didn't think of you. They didn't create you. They didn't come up with you. Underneath the stump is a root system and that is the intention and the purpose of God for your life. And so, and so, so Joseph, who believes he's a son of Jeconiah, has to rewind a little bit when the angel says, hello, son of David. You are a son of promise. You have all the promises of God accessible to you. God is still planning on being faithful to what he promised. You don't have to take after Jeconiah. You can go back to the stump. Sometimes it's good to go back to where you started. To recognize your point of origin was not this. It wasn't this fallen tree. It wasn't this messed up situation. It wasn't this backward way of thinking. It, it, it was a God who loved you, who created you with love, in love, for love, and for you to make a difference. And your point of origin is not this Jeconiah thing. He says, hello, son of David. You are a son of, of promise. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And this is what God wants to do. We still have the, the grammatical problem of God saying that no son of Jack and I would ever sit on his throne. And that's why I believe in Luke chapter 3, there's another genealogy, a genealogy that traces the same lineage. It actually starts at Adam and goes on to Abraham. But uh, from, from Abraham to David, it's the same genealogy. But at David, it makes a, a, a different split. It doesn't follow the line of Solomon, which is the royal line. It follows the line of Nathan, who is David's third-born child. And it works its way all the way to Mary. Most scholars believe that this is a genealogy of Mary. That in Matthew you have the genealogy of Joseph and in Luke you have the genealogy of Mary. And so what, the reason I think why Luke is describing that is because he wants you to know that, that Jesus's bloodline is in fact from David. That God did in fact fulfill his promise to David. Just not in the way that everybody thought that he would. And this is what happens when a, a branch starts growing up out of a stump. God's not standing there going, boy, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm just not sure I, they've messed up and they've fallen and it's messed all this stuff and their kids have all these bad habits because of, he's, he, God's not like wondering what to do with the stump. He knows what to do with the stump. He knows exactly how to bring things together. Your brokenness with his completeness, your sin, with his sanctification, your mess with his miraculous. He knows exactly what to do with a stump. And he, and he reaches out to Mary intentionally because she was a daughter of David. And he reaches out to Joseph intentionally because he was a son of Jeconiah. And he brings the curse and the blessing together into the same house. 
And the curse does not negate the blessing. The blessing overcomes the curse. <laughs> it beats the curse. It's greater than the curse. And out of a stump, a miraculous shoot starts to come up. And that shoot is named Jesus. That branch is named Jesus. Why are we calling him Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. What sin are you in? What sin is your family in? What sin have you been caught in? What sin is your generation <laughs> fixated on? What sin is, is in your life? Jesus saves from, it says from their sin. The, 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 the Greek word there is, is uh, out of or apo. It means, it, means, it means to be at a place of sin, but then to move far away from sin. So he doesn't just save us like while we are stuck in sin and he just gives us like this, this, this free ticket to heaven and then, okay, now you're left down here and you just got to figure stuff out. He actually saves from sin. In other words, he actually changes how you live your life. He changes how you interact with your spouse, how you raise your kids. He changes how you deal with your in-laws and your outlaws. He changes, he changes your every day. He saves you from your sin. There's this place of sin there's this there's this there's this there's this stump that you've been in but he brings growth out of that stump not just a free ticket to heaven God's plan for you is much more than just that you would be with him for eternity he wants you to be with him right now he wants your kids to know what it is to grow up in a home where there is peace where there is joy where there is happiness and he wants to provide kids for you whatever the doctors say he wants to he wants to make your home a place of joy of laughter he wants to make it a place that's welcoming he wants to make it a place that's a blessing to those who come into it he wants to make it a place where people walk in and they they sense peace they sense joy they sense contentment in the holy spirit and they say man i would like some of this and it's much greater than the the design you put on the wall it's not just the color scheme you got in the living room it's the presence of god in your home it's the prayer that happens over your kids Every, almost almost every night I'm up later than my family and my kids are sleeping and when I come to bed I stop at their doorway and I pray over them not because I'm a super Christian but because when God changes your heart this is what you do when a stump starts growing when something starts growing out of a stump when a branch when Jesus starts growing in your life you start you're open your, your receptacles are open to a brand new world and, 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 and honestly, like my family tree is a lot like this. My extended family, my parents, parents, their, their history, it's not good. But at some point, my dad and mom, I think dad was 24, I think. It was six months before I was born. They went to a little missionary Baptist church. Ross, Ross Bible, that's it, it's a, a missionary Bible church. Ross Bible Fellowship in Port Huron, Michigan. I think that was where they, they went to hear this special speaker and, and, and dad went down to the front. I think mom went down to the front in that same service. That's how you got saved in those days. You came down to the front. And it's changed, whatever the generation is, is putting faith in Jesus, that's the key. And, and they decided 
they decided like they were working with this. See, I, I grew up, I wasn't working with this. I got the benefit of a, a little branch. It was fragile and it wasn't always perfect and it was growing sort of cockeyed there and then this way and you know, because <laughs> they're trying to figure it out. But they started with this. All my parents knew was uh, there was a, there was a, a neighborhood uh, a, a family um, Ethel, I think, was mom's best friend, and Ethel's parents would drive them to a little Baptist church when they were kids, and that was their version of God. That's all they knew. They, they just go to Sunday school, and then they do the, the little church thing. And so when, when I was six months old, I don't know, or I was, before I was, I was about to come out, I guess they, I don't know if they just felt like, man, we need to put some roots down. We need to, we need to do something. I don't know what it is. When, man, whenever you start having a family, people kind of get serious about stuff sometimes. And, and I don't know, but they, they went forward, put their faith in Jesus. And, and the miracle of Jesus entered into their stump. And they didn't have much of a family to go off of. They didn't have any good examples of how to do this. I mean, they, you know, they had decent people. The Fleming family was kind of moral. Cigarette smoking, country music listening, cowboy boot wearing. Incredibly independent, self-sufficient. Don't need God. God's a crutch. Kind of family. That's where dad came from. Mom came from a whole different side. Both lived on the same street, but... When God, when Jesus started growing in their life, I got to see that. So I had a lot more than just a little Baptist church once a week and neighborhood person taking me there. I had Bible studies in our home. My dad didn't know much about the Bible, but he would read it and he'd try to understand it and he'd tell us about it. So I'm, you know, kind of first generation. So I know what it's like to see a little, little shoot coming up and to see that thing grow. And to see God create shade for me from that. Some shade that my kids are now enjoying. That my kids are now living under. That my wife is enjoying. That I am enjoying. That I don't struggle with stuff that mom and dad had to struggle with. I don't. Because it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't ingrained in me when I was little. Something else was ingrained in me. And this is what I want for each and every one of us. I want, I want for God to restore the devastation of many generations. I want to see your family turn around. I don't want to see you just repeat and just, just add Jesus to it, and then you just repeat what you've always done. It's a waste. If something doesn't start growing out of that stump, it's a waste. You just, you just decorated a stump. <laughs> you put trees on the stump. You put little lights on the stump, little fake snow. No, man, what if something real started growing there? What if, what if the way you interacted with your kids changed? What if the anger was gone? What kind of parent would you be without the rage inside of you? Something new growing in the inside. Love, joy, peace, patience. God help us. Patience growing inside of us toward our little kids. <laughs> Let that grow. What if patience was growing on the inside of you? What kind of, what, how confident would your kids be in themselves? What kind of self-doubt would they not have to live with that you had to live with? 
because your dad never told you he was proud of you. All the stuff you've dealt with, what if they didn't have to deal with that? What if they got this new thing growing and they got to see that and they could, they could at least say, man, I think I'd like that. I think that's the kind of life I like. I don't know why anyone would go over there and do that because this over here is great. It's not perfect, but it's, it's, it's good. This is what God has for us. He, you have a stump, but God's got a whole root system. God's been working underneath the scenes, behind the scenes. He's been drawing your family to himself. Even my parents, God was working in their parents and in their family. They didn't even see it. They couldn't even know it. They thought they were just going to Baptist church as kids for the program or whatever. But God was working in them. God was drawing them. God was doing stuff beneath the, beneath the surface. And I'm telling you, he's been doing stuff in your family too. Why? To keep the stump alive. To keep hope alive so that one day you might turn to him, receive Jesus, and Jesus would start growing up from this dead place. And it would happen. You'd say, how in the world did that happen? Well, God's been preparing you. God's been calling you. God's been reaching you. God's been blessing your parents. God's been protecting them, physically protecting you, providing for you, saving you from that car wreck, uh, saving you from it. You, some of us weren't even supposed to be born. The enemy tried to take us out before we, even, before we even took our first breath. And God was providing a way for you to be born, providing a way for your parents to come together. Everything that has transpired has been according to his purpose and plan in your life. He's been working under the scenes. You haven't seen it. Your family hasn't glorified him or recognized him. It doesn't mean he hasn't been faithful. There's still life in that stump. <laughs> There's still breath. There's still life happening. And so this Christmas, my, my prayer is that you would get, you would get a home for Christmas. And I don't mean like Oprah gives them away. I mean like, like a home, not a house, like a home. Like that you would, that you would get, that, that you would get a brand new home for Christmas. That you would start to receive Jesus into your home. This is what Joseph had to do. All he had to do was receive Mary. God said, I don't want you to get more confident. I don't want you to get more committed. I just want you to receive what I'm trying to give you, Joseph. I'm trying to give you a branch. If you would just receive it, if you would just allow it to come into your home, and by the way, in the birth of Jesus, you might remember through the, the Gospel of Luke, the story, how Jesus was born when they were on the run. You remember that? They had to travel to, 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 to be registered. Meaning that the midwife that Mary would have been working with for her whole pregnancy wasn't there. <laughs> well, who was there? Joseph. It was just Joseph and Mary. Amazing to me that when God could orchestrate his branch coming into the world, talk about fragile. He picked a dude, just a guy, period. That, that alone is scary. <laughs> As a fellow dad, I'm telling you, I don't, like, I just back away. Like, all right, midwives, you do what you do. I don't know what I'm doing. But no, he, he picked a guy 
and not just a guy, but a son of Jeconiah, and said, the first hands I want holding this branch <laughs> are the hands of a cursed man, are the hands of a broken man, the hands of a dry man, the hands of a dead stump. Let's just insert that branch right there. Just receive it, Joseph. You, you, you got to catch him or he'll break his neck. <laughs> this, this, is a, this is a delicate branch. And I feel like many of us are in that very spot. It's a delicate thing you're receiving. It could break. It's fragile. But why would God trust your hands? <laughs> because it's your hands that need the branch. It's not Mary's hands. It's your hands. The need to receive him. The need to hold him. The need to take him home. Would you bow your heads with me? I'd like to just extend this offer. If you're here today and your family needs the branch, he's offering it to you right now. He came 2,000 years ago, but he's, he's right here. And all of his saving power is available to you. Maybe, maybe you need a branch. Maybe you're far from God and you say, man, I haven't, I don't, he's not even in my heart. I don't know about my family, but he's not in me. And if you'd like to receive him, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to receive him. I want to put my faith in him and receive him into my heart. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's like he's been in my heart. I had a tree and then it got cut down. Or for the first time even. I love it. Hands going up. Just keep your hands up. If you're here today and you want to receive him into your family, say, yeah, he's in my heart, but he's not really in my family. He's not in my home. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to receive him into my home this, this season. This season can be the season. We don't just have a Christmas tree. We have a new family tree growing. That's awesome. Hands up. Just, just go ahead and keep your hands up. Let's, this, this is an act of worship, raising your hands. It's an act of surrender. It's an act of saying, I can't do this. I need God. And so, Father, we come to you. You said all we have to do is believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, put our faith in his sacrifice for our sins, put our faith in his ability to save us from our sins and, and repent of our sins and turn from our sins and you would save us. You would immediately rush in to save us. Something would start growing inside of us immediately as soon as we turn to you. And so we do that today. Some of us are putting our faith in you. We're turning away from our ability to establish ourselves and we're asking you to establish us. We're asking you to come in and do something inside of us. We welcome you, Jesus. Others of us are needing you in our homes. Lord, I need you in my home. I need more of you in my living room and in our bedrooms and in our dining room and in our kitchen. Lord, I need you in my conversations with my spouse. I need you in my, in my discipline of my kids. I need you in, in, in the boundaries and the rules. I need you in the consumerism of Christmas, Lord. I need you in my home. I need you in my finances. I need you directing my steps. I need you, Lord. I need you in, in my day-to-day -day life. I need 
lead you in decisions about vehicles and, and, and job opportunities and, and, and ministry. I, I need you, Lord. I can't do this on my own. I need, I need a, a fresh branch inside of my life. I need a miracle. I need for you to come in and do what only you can do to transform so many patterns that I have in my own life. I can't break them on my own. I can't start new ones on my own. I need for you to break through the ground for salvation to start growing up from the stump of a thing, the stump of a family, the stump of a life, the stump of a commitment. I need for you to do what only you can do, the stump of a church, Lord. I need for you to blast through the ground and do something truly, truly amazing, more amazing than gathering people for a worship service. I need revival in this place. I need fresh hearts being transformed by the power of the gospel. It's more than just following up with guests and sitting and having coffee with people. We need God's manifest presence in our midst. Physical healing, spiritual healings, generational transformation happening, Lord. Marriages happening, engagements happening, children being born, pregnancy happening, uh, cancer being cured. We, we need your presence in this place more than just a stump. We got to have some growth, real growth, spiritual growth, growth that lasts, growth that remains from this generation into the next. That my kids could grow up in a under a larger shade than I did. <laughs> they could stand on my shoulders. So we welcome you. We receive you. We receive what you say about us. We receive what you call us. We receive the son of promise that you identify us as. And we thank you for accomplishing your purposes in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.